the University of Johannesburg. The future reimagined. Hello, and thank you for downloading this edition of Innovative Research at the University of Johannesburg. We welcome you to this particular edition in which we are going to be looking at scientific journalism and communication strategies during the pandemic. My name is Maria Framop, and I'm the Executive Director of the University of Johannesburg Library, and it is the library that is hosting these podcasts. It is my great pleasure to welcome two of our professors from the University of Johannesburg today. The first is Professor Elizabeth Lubinga, who is in the Department of Strategic Communication, and Professor Sarah Chiumbu, who is the head of the School of Communication at the University of Johannesburg. They've been doing very interesting research into communication, communication strategies, messaging strategies, and particularly journalism and scientific journalism in South Africa around COVID-19. I'm not sure about you, but I sometimes wonder about how much the journalists understand what they are telling us about COVID. And there are times where I'm not sure that I actually believe half of what's being reported. So I'm going to turn uh, first to you, Prof. Sarah, to ask what have been your findings around the scientific journalism um, pertaining to COVID-19 in South Africa over the last year? And in this, you might want to tell us a little bit more about your particular research project. Um, okay, so uh, Prof. Elizabeth will speak more about the project itself uh, because she's the head of this um, project. She's a PI of the project. Um, so as we said earlier on, uh, the project has got two components. Um, we are looking at the use of um, fear, you know, fear appraisal strategies uh, or appeal strategies by the government of South Africa, but also looking at how journalists are reported um, on COVID-19. Um, so our data on the science journalism side is just coming in now. Uh, we have not uh, analyzed it, but we've got some kind of insights in, in you know, some of the um, Things that are coming, just to say that in South Africa as a whole, the whole area of science journalism is still growing. As you know, most of our institutions, training institutions in South Africa, do not offer science journalism. So if you look across the universities that offer journalism training and also the colleges that offer journalism training, there's very little science journalism, if not at all, including at our own University of Johannesburg. Therefore, journalists see this as a very specialized area, and they are not very familiar with on how to report on health or on science issues. And science issues is very broad. It just doesn't um, refer to health issues, but also issues around climate change and, and other areas of science. Um, and also, what has been happening over the years is that a lot of media houses are cutting down and also removing bits, what we call bits in journalism. So there'll be like the politi politics bits, a health bits, and so on. And journalists are now meant to cover everything, to know everything. So when it comes to COVID now, we realize that um, a lot of journalists didn't have, were not prepared 
you know, for this story, for this pandemic, because I think it caught all of us by surprise. Therefore, it turns out that a lot of journalists were getting the, the information on COVID from probably two central places, one of them being the government itself, the government of South Africa, um, through the, what was it called, the COVID um, council that was set up, the COVID-19 command center that, that was set up. So a lot of information came from that. It was very centralized. But also, journalists also received or accessed a lot of the information on COVID-19 from that uh, World Health um, uh, Organization, uh, which, which also centralized, I think, in terms of in globally, centralized a lot of information coming you know, on COVID-19. So these were sort of the two main sources uh, that journalists um, accessed. But, there was, but you could also tell that the journalists struggled to understand the full science um, you know, behind COVID. And on top of that, they also had to deal with uh, misinformation or disinformation, something that has been called infodemics. There was a lot of that. So it was now a matter of trying to sort out the different kinds of information coming in through social media and all over the place and to actually try to tell the story, the proper story, the true story um, um, uh, of COVID. Then in, um, luckily in South Africa, they, we have um, the Kisesa, the Center for Health Journalism that was set a few years ago. It's one of the biggest, I think, um, journalism or health journalism centers, in, at least in this part of the world. Um, so Becky Sessa did try to cover, um, you know, the story of COVID from different angles. Um, and a lot of journalists, I think, also benefited a lot from uh, Becky Sessa. Um, so I think it, it's, it's, I think it, it also exposed um, uh, the COVID-19, the pandemic exposed the need for more training in science journalism. It also exposed the need for, you know, for more journalists to, you know, um, to be interested or to, to actually write more effectively on stories of pan pandemics. Because definitely this is not the first pandemic that's going to hit us. So I think it's sort of now, it was a wake up call for both the newsrooms, but also for training institutions like ourselves, uh, that we need to focus more and to invest more in the area of science journalism. Um, Professor Sarah, thank you so much. That was very clear and very interesting. And it links to the reason we set up this podcast series, because we noted that there was so much interesting research going on at the University of Johannesburg around COVID, but that this information isn't getting out and isn't being shared in a lot of media platforms. And in some ways, your response has given us insight into that. Professor Elizabeth, I wonder if I can turn to you now and ask you to just map out in a bit more detail, um, specifically those things that Prof. Sarah hasn't covered, your research project, how you've envisaged it, and some of the key findings of your project. Thank you for this opportunity. So as Prof. Sarah has said, um, the project is ongoing. It's supposed to end next year in 2022. But we do have a bit of information that is coming through. 
in terms of um, the policies that we analyzed. And also we've had a webinar which was organized by the UG Library, thanks to you. And so if I speak on behalf of the message strategy aspect of our project, I would like to say that the reason why we were interested in examining the message strategies that were used by the South African government, it's because we did realize that at the beginning, the government did not actually have a strategy because it was a crisis, it was unexpected, it was unprepared for. And so what happened is our government tended to follow what the other governments, for example, those in the US and the UK, and the ones that were very prominent in communicating um, COVID-19, the strategies that they took. For example, the presidential addresses were um, a replica of what happened overseas and the use of the social media and the mainstream media as well. And so we were curious in terms of what were the effects of the kind of communication that was conducted by government at the time. And we did realize that there was a lot of use of fear appeal messages in terms of message strategy, because I'm sure each one of us in the country had uh, an SMS, received an SMS every day at a specific time. Most of the time it was at night that told us that the coronavirus kills. That was the slogan that seemed to be common. And of course, we had the statistics that were sent out through Twitter, Facebook, and all those other social media platforms. And those seem to create a lot of fear among people. And so in our studies and research as strategic communicators, we do know that fear appeals are very persuasive. People do actually consider them and they change behavior. But we also understand that they are not sustainable because at a certain point, your audiences develop apathy. They get so used to these kinds of messaging. And so they decide to either ignore them or to not follow them as would be desired by the communicator, which was in this case, the government. So that is where our study um, stemmed from and it's ongoing. But so far, our results that we have found show that um, already the interest in what has become commonly known as the family meeting that addressed by the president is not as popular anymore or as effective as it should be. Because originally it was informative, but it was also meant to appeal to the audiences. And so you find that... Um, people do not take it as seriously as they used to at the beginning. But also at the same time, we looked at the communication that has taken place on social media platforms, and we have found that it has had its advantages and disadvantages. The advantage is that at least government is communicating more frequently with its citizens, but at the same time, there's no engagement as would be desirable because the messages are sent out, but then there's no 
um, response to what the citizens raise on those social media platforms. And we should also understand that even though it may be convenient, it may be instant to use social media platforms, a lot of the South African population does not have access to social media. So it's a kind of elitist and privileged form of communication. And so these are the issues that we are finding out as we continue with our study. Thank you. Thank you. That was so interesting. And I think we can all resonate with what you've been saying. I'd like to ask you now both very, very briefly, what should we be doing going forward? So, um, Sarah, just very briefly, what should journalists be looking out for or doing going forward in order to improve journalism around healthcare? Uh, thank you. Um, I think I think what needs to be done it's it's uh, something that Elizabeth we just spoken about about the one way flow of information uh, that South Africans have not been given a chance uh, to tell their story. Um, so I think the the coronavirus, among other issues in South Africa, has shown us that the people the media in South Africa, and in this case I'm talking about the mainstream media, which is television, uh, radio, and print uh, newspapers, uh, that it normally speaks from what has been called a middle-class perspective. Or South Africa, uh, a lot of researchers have accused the media of being, you know, adopting a middle-class bias. Uh, therefore, certain stories are not told. We only hear to get to, to hear certain kinds of stories from other areas. So, for example, we know that a lot of marginalized communities and rural communities in South Africa are not reached by the media. Uh, we, don't hear, we don't get to hear their stories. Uh, so I think this is an opportunity for journalists now to rethink how they do news. And the coronavirus has disrupted, I think, how newsrooms have been working all over the world, not just in South Africa. And this is an opportunity now to actually go to the people and get the story. What are people's experiences? What are people feeling? Because if you remember in the beginning of the COVID, of this pandemic, there was this belief that the disease was a white man's disease, if I can put it that way. Or it was for the rich people, because they are the ones who travel. They are the ones who actually brought it in South Africa. Um, so, and also in terms of digital media, for example, most of the, the information that is being shared around it's also a very small clique of South Africans who have got smartphones or who can access uh, digital media. So the stories we are hearing, the experiences we are hearing are coming from a very small uh, part of, of South Africans. And we feel like it's covering the whole country, what we are hearing and getting, uh, because we are part of the middle class, I guess. Therefore, we are speaking to each other. But we actually do not have a lot of information on what's happening in rural areas in South Africa, for example. There's been very little of of that. So I think journalists need to go, go to the ground and get the stories. Thank you so much, Prof. Sarah. And um, just very briefly, in a minute or so, Prof. Elizabeth, what do you think um, are strategies that the government should be um, implementing going forward? I think that the government should conduct research and find out what is more appropriate to our own climate and our own circumstances. 
because what we have used so far is what we have got from other countries. And we need government to listen to the people and come up with bottom-up approaches to solving this problem. Great. Thank you both. This has been incredibly insightful. And I hope that we can have another podcast with you when the rest of your data comes in. Because I think that's an issue that all of us in South Africa are very interested in learning about. And what you've been sharing has definitely resonated with me. So thank you very much to Prof. Elizabeth and Prof. Sarah. We look forward to speaking to you again. And to all our listeners, stay well and be safe. The University of Johannesburg. The future reimagined.